This is Ye Old Dragons Library, the storytelling podcast. This is the place to hear fantastical fiction and hear from authors of fantastical news stories. This episode is another chapter in the fantasy novel Plantwise, book one in the Steward's World series. If you're ready for the magic of story, let's begin. Chapter 24 In the Westerland Palace Gardens, Caitlin and Alex shared a very late dinner together under the apple tree. He read to her by lantern light, and she gazed at him with affection both of them had only recently discovered, to their surprise and delight. Their quiet picnic ended in a blaze of silver and green light bursting from the tree above them. The tree shuddered. Silver and green magic flowed over the tree in waves as it stretched out its branches, exploding into flowers and golden fruit and adding several feet of new branches in all directions. The two new sweethearts stared up at the tree in open-mouthed astonishment for several seconds. Then they laughed and hugged each other and struggled to their feet for a victory dance, needing no music but the happy beating of their hearts. No, Maddox roared. You can't give her my gifting. It was never yours, Ambrose said. Arden was too stunned by the magic flowing into her from Ambrose to speak or even blink. Somewhere in all the chaos, she had finally recognized Dylan. He was Ambrose's grandson, a healer in his own right. Shouldn't the gifting be going to him? Ambrose stepped back as the glow of his magic faded, and the flow slowed to a trickle. Arden turned, staring, tears in her eyes as he stepped back toward Glynna, and faded a little more with every step. As he reached her, he was fully transparent and his feet left the ground. They joined hands, smiling, and faded from sight. "'Goodbye, Grandfather,' Dylan whispered. "'He's not gone. He'll be with me,' Arden's voice cracked. "'Forever.' "'Arden, my princess,' Maddox said in a choked voice. He held out both hands to her. "'Forgive me. Think of our childhood love. Remember our plans to marry. I have always adored you.' She jerked away out of his reach. She wanted to laugh wanted to scream, overwhelmed by sudden fear for Violet. Yes, she had a healer's gifting now, and the traditional protection granted to healers by Yeshin's decree, but Maddox could still hurt Violet. Marry me! Let me repay you for all you have suffered! His voice throbbed with longing, but Arden knew better. He had never felt a single pure emotion. Join Westerland and Stonemount into one nation as our fathers dreamed! It's too late, Maddox. The calmness in her voice startled her. I know all your dirty tricks, all your lies. But do you know something amazing? She laughed a little breathlessly. The ready-to-fly feeling inside wasn't just from the magic churning through her as it made itself at home. I'm not going to tell anyone. The truth has a way of coming out no matter what we do. I won't use your tricks any longer. I'm going home. With a smile that was almost friendly, she turned to leave. Maddox reached to stop her, but Anselm and Dylan moved as one person to block him. A word of advice, King Maddox, if you would remain king. Anselm's quiet, pleasant voice wiped the growing rage from Maddox's face and turned it white. Make peace with Princess Fiera. It's the only way to survive. He nodded and turned to go, then looked back over his shoulder. 
Oh, and learn how to tell the truth. It's a valuable talent. Dylan didn't even look back as he hurried after Arden. Jason brought Arden a horse, a big, young, healthy gelding that chomped at the bit with eagerness to run, provided by Lord Anselm, complete with a sack of silvers and coppers to help pave her way home. Olive packed her food for the trip to Westerland. Bernine brought her new clothes to disguise herself a little on the journey to the border. She worked in silence to help Arden pack for the trip. All her friends among the servants came to say goodbye, their faces alight with wonder and amazement and some little fear. Arden wished she could take all her friends back to Westerland with her, but she couldn't if she wanted to leave quickly and quietly. Maddox would seethe for a time, and then he would move against her. She couldn't count on the ancient inviolability of healers to keep her safe against his revenge. What she could count on, though, was for gossip to spread the word, so that the sooner everyone knew what had happened and who she was, the more quickly Maddox's hands would be tied. Her friends would gladly spread the tale she knew, without her even asking. The moon had risen before she and Violet were mounted, their provisions safely tied to the horse. They made their last farewells at the back palace gate where they had entered so many weeks ago. There were no guards, no one to witness their farewells. If Jason had arranged it that way, or the guards had begun to revolt, Arden neither knew nor cared. All that mattered was being able to leave the palace without interference. Olive gave Violet one last kiss and put the little girl into her mother's arms, then stepped back, tears in her eyes. Now... Arden let herself look for Dylan. Bernine had told her about how he had faked his death and worked from the shadows to help Ambrose, and how glad so many nobles were that he had returned from the dead. He would be busy, forced back into his former role as a member of the royal family, likely dealing with so many people who had lost some of their fear and respect for Maddox. She knew he was busy, yet she wanted so very much to see him, to ask him to go with her and ask how long he had known her secret. All they had been allowed was one hurried moment in the hallway, when he urged her to leave and promised he would catch up with her, eventually. And to think that Princess Arden worked in my own kitchen, the cook murmured for the dozenth time. If you ever come to Westerland, I might at that. Do you need another cook in your palace, Princess? I need my friends, all of you. When you see Dylan... Arden couldn't find the words. She reached down for Olive's hand once more, squeezed, and nudged the horse to get it moving. Time was on her side, but not for long. Mid-afternoon the next day, they reached the border of Stonemount and Westerland, a far smoother, more comfortable, faster trip than she had had the first time. The gate hung open, which was a marked change she wondered at. Had something happened she didn't know about, immured in the palace? Word of Maddox's defeat and embarrassment couldn't have reached here already, could it? The guards of both sides lounged against the poles supporting the gate, talking to each other, looking bored. The traffic flow was all in one direction, Stonemount to Westerland. That, at least, hadn't changed. Just before she dismounted to approach the gate on foot, Arden felt what she could only describe as a nudge, and a silent whisper telling her to turn and look. She saw a boy sitting by the side of the road, flushed with fever, his left leg bound with splints and blood-spotted bandages. 
Before she quite knew it, she slid off the horse and brought Violet down with her, set her daughter on the ground, and knelt next to the boy. The well-trained horse stayed with her. She barely noticed in the overwhelming, totally new compulsion to reach out and help. But how? a voice asked inside her head. It's easy, another voice said, laughing, and Arden suddenly knew exactly what to do. Violet toddled off toward a mud puddle where other children were playing. Arden reached out both hands to touch the boy's leg. He stared at her, his wariness turning to wonder as her hands glowed silver and the glow spread to his leg. A few travelers saw and came over to watch. Murmurs of astonishment brought more people to watch. Arden ignored the gasps and new voices and the people calling for others to come see. All that mattered was somehow being able to see under the bandages with a kind of sight that was rooted in her fingertips. She knew what needed to be done, how to guide her own strength and health to clean and seal the boy's badly gashed leg. As she unwrapped the dirty bandages, the murmurs turned to shouts and laughter and the sound of running feet from both sides of the gate. "'Princess!' a familiar voice called. Barden, a good friend of Darien's, crossed over from the Westerland side of the gate. He led four more Westerland soldiers, all of them with the same expressions of wonder that the Stonemount border guards wore. "'Are you all right?' he gestured at the men behind him. "'We're here to take you home.' "'Home?' "'Yes, please,' she blinked tears from her eyes. "'Mistress, can you help my wife?' a stone-mount gate guard begged, as Arden stood up from her very first healing. "'She's been that sick for three days now. "'I will help everyone who needs me.' She looked around at the crowd and knew what to do. She smiled and raised her voice to call out, "'Tell everyone you meet. "'Princess Arden says there will be no more border "'and no barriers to keep Stonemount and Westerland separate.' I will build a healing house nearby, and anyone who wants may come to me, and I will help them. Then she gestured for the guard to lead the way. He shucked his helmet and sword, and reached out to take her hand and lead her at a run. We've come to a break in the story. I'd like to take a moment to tell you about a book that you might be interested in reading. What if Sleeping Beauty wanted to sleep? What if the sleep was amnesia? or just a long, bad dream? What if her beauty sleep lasted too long? What if she sacrificed herself to sleep to protect her family? Those are just some of the questions explored in the new fairy tales anthology, Perchance to Dream. Seventeen authors present new twists on the story of Sleeping Beauty, Perchance to Dream, fairy tale anthology number three, from Ye Old Dragon Books. And now, back to the story. That night, frustrated by ambassadors who no longer toadied and servants who smiled instead of quaking in fear, Maddox drank himself dizzy in the hopes of escape. He only grew queasy and more angry. He found a long-handled axe, he couldn't quite remember where, and staggered out to the gardens. It was the tree's fault. The tree was part of Arden, wasn't it? He could still hurt her, even if everyone kept telling him he didn't dare touch a healer who had been gifted by the great Ambrose. The tree drew back its branches when he got within ten feet of it, like a dowager pulling up its skirts at the approach of a rat. Maddox shuddered, nauseated by the image of a fat, greasy, filthy rat. 
Anger thudded through his swollen head as he realized he was the rat. He imagined the axe hitting Arden as he stepped forward, hefted it and raised it, and swung with his entire body. Green-gold light spurted from the wound as the axe bit in with a glancing blow. The wound in the bark sealed up a moment later, with a sound that was half harp chord and half hissing. Maddox's stomach writhed at the clash of sounds and sensations. "'Don't be an even greater fool, Maddox,' Ambrose called, and faded into sight a moment later, bobbing slightly in midair in front of the tree trunk. He chuckled and shook his head when Maddox gaped at him. "'Forgotten me already?' "'You're dead. Arden took your life.' I gave Princess Arden my magic, and I am far from dead. I've come to say goodbye, Maddox. Don't try to hurt the tree, if you know what's good for you. He held out his hand, and Glinna faded into sight as she gave her hand into his. They smiled at each other like young sweethearts. Maddox staggered back two steps as he recognized the woman from Arden's christening day. The day he had lowered himself to feel jealous of a baby— the day he decided he would have Ambrose's gifting some day. But Arden had it all now. Despite everything he had done, she had won. He just couldn't understand. No, it's not fair, he roared, as the two spirits rose slowly through the air, passing through the branches of the tree. He snatched up the axe again and swung, hitting the tree hard enough to knock himself off his feet with the rebound. The tree shrieked with a sound that went higher than a falcon's scream and deeper than the rumbling of an earthquake. Green-gold magic burst out from every leaf and branch, enveloping the entire tree in blinding light. Maddox screamed as if his head would split open from the brightness and fell to his knees. When the light faded, the tree was gone. He never did know what was good for him, Ambrose murmured, from far above the highest towers of the palace. "'Shall we go, my dear?' In midair, he leaned forward and kissed Glinna with all the passion of their long-ago youth. They faded into the night quiet, with a spattering of sparkles of magic brighter than all the stars. The palace garden in Westerland had two apple trees, and as a result, the harvest gave signs of being triply abundant that year, as if to make up for the paucity of the spring." Arden stopped from time to time and silently apologized to the trees, to Westerland, and to Yeshen for her bitterness and lack of forgiveness that had started off the year so bleakly. Then she threw herself gladly into the preparations for Alex and Caitlin's wedding celebration to take place at the end of the harvest. Violet became a handful for her mother, making up for the many months of listlessness. Arden hired two new nursemaids for her daughter— after all, once construction began on the healing house near the border, she would need her hands free both for teaching and healing. If she had no help, of course. For the first week after returning to Westerland, every time a visitor was announced, Arden looked up with eager expectation of seeing Dylan's face. Each time, she was disappointed, and she scolded herself not to invest so much of her heart into waiting for him. He had responsibilities to Stonemount, after all. The rumors and official courier packets coming from Anselm and other ambassadors hinted that a growing number of people wanted Dylan to claim the throne. She wondered what all the political chaos and court intrigue was doing to him. She prayed 
asking Yeshin to protect him, and scolded herself not to be selfish. Maddox had been right about the higher duty of the nobility, although his interpretation of what that meant had always been questionable. If Maddox had killed Dylan, how would she know? Ambrose assured her, the few times he and Glynna became visible, that he would know if Dylan fell into danger. Arden had to be content with that. Brentonwald was strangely silent, and there was no sign Princess Fiera would be going home. Arden felt sorry for her, being sent to Stonemount to correct Maddox. She hoped the princess had many friends and allies to support and protect her. She tried not to imagine Fiera marrying Dylan if he was persuaded to take back the throne. The royal family spent nearly every late afternoon under the apple tree, just the four of them, relaxing and talking and taking a respite from the press of court life. Violet's favorite new game was to snatch sweets from under her doting uncle's hand and make him chase her to get them back. Today, she climbed up into his lap as Caitlin held out the plate to him with the last piece of pastry filled with late berries. She caught the treat in both hands and squealed her glee as she turned to flee and kicked King Alex in the stomach. He oofed his surprise, tumbled backwards, and stared, open-mouthed, as the child scampered across the grass with lightning speed. If you don't catch her now, Arden said, laughter tears in her eyes, you'll never live it down. She'll only get worse if you don't stop her. Muttering, Alex got to his feet and lumbered after the child. Caitlin leaped at his arm to stop him. Laughing, he wrapped his arms around her waist and spun her around several times, then put her down so quickly she stumbled. Freed momentarily, he raced after Violet, who was halfway across the garden by now and shrieking laughter. A rippling sensation went up Arden's back, stopping her laughter in her throat. The knowledge inherited from Ambrose told her that was the feeling when one healer sensed another. She turned to the garden gates, and there he was. It's about time that boy got here, Ambrose said. He and Glynna preferred to be invisible as they watched over the family. I think his timing is perfect, Glynna said with a chuckle. Dylan didn't move until Arden got to her feet and started toward him. He crossed the garden grass in long, smooth, quick strides, meeting her under the very edge of the second apple tree. He smiled with only his eyes as he caught hold of her hands. Neither of them could speak for several seconds. Arden thought she would choke on her questions and the strange longing to laugh and cry at the same time. Then Dylan grinned, and she realized how silly they both had to look, and they laughed quietly together for a few seconds. "'I hear you're starting a school for healers,' he said, and tightened his grip on her hands. "'Grandfather says a gift hoarded becomes evil. I have a lot of Maddox's evil to make up for.' Is there a place for me, he said. She smiled, and swirls of green-gold magic intertwined with the silver of healer's magic spun through the leaves of the apple trees. The End We're already at the end of today's chapter. I hope you enjoyed yourself, and you're eagerly looking forward to the next episode of Ye Old Dragon's Library. <laughs>